Hey, thank you, Joey. Good morning, everybody. So, hey, on September 2nd, 1666, there was a small fire that broke out in a bakery shop in London, England. And before that fire was extinguished, it actually burned for four days. It consumed about 80% of the city. In fact, over 13,000 buildings and homes were destroyed, earning it the name the Great Fire of London. Just a, a fun fact, the fire actually started on a street named Pudding Lane and would be stopped at a place called Pie Corner. And some of us wonder why all we ever think about is food, right? Apparently, some of us had uh, relatives for whom this was the case as well. Kind of runs in the family. Well, the devastation of this fire was so sweeping that the city literally had to rethink how it could be better prepared for such a large-scale emergency. So several laws were passed, one of which allowed for the incorporation of an entirely new kind of business. It was called the Insurance Office for the Houses. It was established in 1861, and for the first time in the history of mankind, uh, 5,000 homes in the city of London were insured. So the need for insurance arose because we live in a world where fires rage, accidents happen, illness strikes, winds blow, justice falters, and brokenness reigns. So the book of Malachi was written in just such a world, and the people of Malachi's day, well, they noticed and so as a result, they air some very serious complaints against God. And you just heard uh, Joey read some of those. So essentially, the people of Malachi's day are looking around at a world where there's all this darkness, all this brokenness, life doesn't always seem fair, and they are accusing God of being asleep at the wheel of standing back and doing absolutely nothing. In fact, the way they're doing this is they're comparing themselves to people who are far from God, and they don't see how they're doing any better. So they say things like this, well, you know, it's just a waste of time to serve God. I mean, how are we profiting by keeping his commands? I mean, here we are trying to honor God, and people who are evil, people who are far from God seem to prosper while we mourn and while we suffer. I mean, here we are as a people trying to honor God, and what are we getting for it? And if some of us in the room were honest, you know, maybe you felt this way once or twice in the last couple of years. I mean, maybe you look around at people who, who are living far from God and on the surface, they don't seem to have a care in the world. I mean, everything they touch, God seems to bless. So let's tease this out a little bit. So, for example, you have two people. One of them never exercises, they eat terribly, they don't take very good care of themselves, and they live to be 80 years old. Then all of us can probably name someone who may have passed away in the last couple of years, and they exercised faithfully, they got plenty of rest, they ate well, they took their vitamins, and they died in their youth or in their middle age. What's up with that? And Jackie and I have personally observed this one. You have two sets of parents. 
One set of parents is totally disengaged from their kids. And, you know, maybe they're abusive of drugs or alcohol, not real loving or caring toward their children. And they end up raising a son who loves Jesus profoundly. Then you have another set of parents, parents who want to raise children who love the Lord. They're engaged with their kids. They're loving. They homeschool their kids to give them a head start in God's word. And they raise a daughter who's running from Jesus with all her might. What's up with that? You know, well, when the people of Malachi's day looked around and saw these kinds of things, they were furious with God. Their attitude was, look, you know, we're the ones serving you, so why in the world are you blessing other people more than you're blessing us? And interestingly enough, Jesus would speak to this. Hundreds of years later, and here's what Jesus said. This is from the book of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said it this way. He, meaning God, causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying, that God is so gracious, he's so good, he's so merciful that he will even bless people who would deny his name. So, for example, when Jesus tells us to bless our enemies and to pray for them, he's showing us what God is, God's character is like. So, anytime someone stands up and says something like, well, there is no God or I don't believe in God, God doesn't punish them for that, not on its own anyway. He continues to bless people who would deny his name. And if we're honest, though, sometimes God's grace and mercy can be a little offensive to us, can't it? I mean, you know, in other words, we, we want God to be gracious and merciful with us, but we don't want him to be too gracious and merciful where other people are concerned. I mean, you know, uh, so in other words, it's offensive when God seems to be blessing people who would ridicule him to his face, who would even deny his existence. But that's God's character. So when Jesus says, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek, Jesus isn't just, he's asking us to act in alignment with God's character. That's what God does. That's who God is. So for example, when Jesus is going to the cross, right, he's being beaten, he's being spat upon, he's being cursed, he's being mocked, but he does not retaliate. He literally turns the other cheek because that is what God is like. But God does respond to their concerns, and he does this in Malachi chapter 4. Here's what God says. He says, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day uh, it is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. And, and so here's the second part of this. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. So here's God's counsel to the people for their concerns. God essentially says this, trust me, their day will come and so will yours. 
Their day will come and so will yours. There will come a day when every wrong will be righted, when every hurt will be healed, when every hope will be restored. God is saying, look, don't, get, don't confuse me. I am completely just. I am completely fair. But don't confuse me with life in this world because life in this world is not always just and it's not always fair. And so, but God is saying, look, because I'm the God of justice, one day justice is going to come and when it does, it's going to rage. And when it does, it's going to flow like a river. And it's going to be so bright that people are going to be shocked at how, um, just how deeply it cuts. You know, and in fact, he uses, uh, he says, my justice is going to rage like a fire, and when it does, it's going to consume all evil. And then he uses the metaphor of the sun. And you think about the sun, it's so interesting. You know, on the one hand, the sun exposes, it scorches, it burns. But on the other hand, it brings to light, right, what's been in the dark. And he says, one day my justice is going to shine so brightly that on people who didn't love or serve me, that it will overwhelm them. It will consume them. They won't be able to stand up under the intensity of that. In other words, he's saying, look, a day is coming when I will get the last and the final word. But for you who love me, he says, that will be the best day. That will be some of the best moments. That day when it comes, it will be some of the best moments of your very existence. You will leap and dance. And I love this imagery. Like a calf led out to pasture for the very first time. You will feel the warmth and delight of the sun upon you in a way that will make you feel more alive than you've ever been. You're going to leap and you're going to jump and you're going to dance like calves led out to pasture for the very first time. Now, I want to kind of know what that looked like. So I actually looked this up and I'm going to show you about a 60 second clip of some little calves that are going to be let out of the barn for the very first time in their life. And I want you to check out what this looks like. So I don't know if you're raised on a farm or not, but watch your screen. see any calves there do you they're working on it <laughs> okay we're going to move on Listen, I'm just saying that video would have changed your life if you'd have seen it. It really is awesome. Do you guys have that or are we done? Okay, great. We're just going to move on. So here's what's so beautiful to me about this. These calves can't stop jumping. They just can't stop running. They are so excited to be out there. In fact, it's exhausting to watch them. It's like I don't even know how they had that much energy. And I think the imagery that God's trying to get to us is he's saying, look, on that day you're going to feel more alive, more excited, more hopeful, more, you're going to have more energy than you ever have in your entire life. So Malachi, you know, um, 
points his people to this day. And you're going to be thinking, he's saying, look, for you who revere my name, you're going to be thinking, I get to live this? I can't believe I get to be here. I can't believe I get to spend eternity with you. I mean, he's saying, look, when that day comes, there's going to be nothing like it, both for those who, who are evil and those who love my name. So here's God's message essentially to his people. He's saying this, look, I'm still the God of justice. Justice one day is going to come and it's going to flow like a river. But I'm also a God of grace. My grace may reign today, but my justice will rule tomorrow. So Malachi is pointing his people to this day in the future, a day when someone is going to come who is going to bring healing and help to this broken world. In fact, here's the way he says it. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Now this is fascinating because... The word that Malachi uses, the Hebrew word for wings, is the word kanaf, K-A-N-A-F. That's how it transliterates. And this is the same word that's used in Numbers 15 to refer to the corners of a Jewish prayer shawl. Now this is actually an authentic Jewish prayer shawl. And in Numbers 15, Moses was referring to the corners of this prayer shawl. And he said, look, I want you to attach tassels to that. And every time you look at those tassels, you're going to be reminded of my commandments and how I've called you to live. And in Jesus' day, every rabbi, uh, in fact, you can kind of see this is actually what Hebrew looks like, uh, and every rabbi in Jesus' day would have worn one of those, one of these, and the, um, wow, I'm, I'm all tangled up here, and the, uh, and and including Jesus, Jesus would have worn one of these. And so a legend grew up out of Malachi chapter 4 that when the Messiah came, you would be able to touch the corner of his prayer shawl and be healed. This was the legend that grew out of uh, the verses that we're reading right now. So fast forward to Mark chapter 5 and there's a woman who does just that. Uh, it, it describes a time when Jesus is hemmed in and pressed into a crowd and someone reaches up and grabs the corner of his prayer shawl. But there's such a crowd around him, he doesn't know right away who it is, but he recognizes that um, some power has gone out of him, that someone has received a healing. And so he eventually has a conversation with the woman. We're told that a woman who'd been bleeding perpetually uh, for 12 years, she'd seen all kinds of doctors, nobody could do anything for her, but she'd heard one day that Jesus was going to be in town. And so what's so important to understand is that by reaching up and taking the corner of his prayer shawl, do you know what she was saying? She was saying, I believe you're the one. I believe you're that guy. I believe that you're the Messiah that God was going to send who had healing in his wings. This is so beautiful. And so Jesus, he, she does find her healing, but you need to understand that her touching the corner of Jesus' garment was a statement about far more than just getting healing. 
She was, it was a confession on her part that you are the Savior. You are the one. I believe that. Uh, so, yeah, really, really cool thing, right? So when we read that Jesus then says to her, go in peace in Mark 5, this is a really important Hebrew word, and it's a word that does not translate well. It's far more pregnant with meaning than to just call it peace. I mean, because when we think about peace, right, you know, we think about things like this, you know, well, an absence of conflict or worry or lack of tension. But shalom means something far more powerful and significant than that. Shalom represents the goodness of God in a person's life. It, it's something that only God can give, only God can bring, and it represents what it means to be completely restored, made completely whole, in full view of God's presence. So instead of being like Adam and Eve who have to hide from God, one, men and women can stand before God completely unashamed because of shalom. It's peace with God and peace with others and even peace with our world. It's the way it was meant to be and it's the way it's meant to be once again. And I think we see here that to, to Jesus, salvation is, you know, it's holistic in nature. It's body, mind, soul. It's all of those, all of those things are uh, dramatically changed in salvation. It's a way of life. And here's what's so important for you and me, friends. The same Jesus that that woman reached for, he reaches out for you and me. That means that even in a broken world, even in a dark world, we have absolutely nothing to worry about. That means that Jesus has us, he is with us, and he has promised us that he will never leave us and never forsake us. So here's the first principle I want you to know. Though we live in a broken world, we do not have to live as a broken people. Though we live in a broken world, we do not have to live as a broken people. In fact, in John 16, Jesus is talking to his followers, and he says this. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And there it is, that same word, shalom. So the shalom that he offered to this woman, now he's offering to his disciples. And now he's speaking it over them and over you and I. And then he says something else. He says, in this world... You will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, I've used this illustration before, but my oldest son, many of you know, he's a meteorologist with the National Weather Service, so that means he makes a living predicting the weather, and he gets a lot of grace from people for that, right? In fact, people are kind of surprised when meteorologists get it right, aren't we? So he gets a ton of grace. Well, if Jesus were predicting your future, he would say this, you're going to get some trouble today. You're going to get a little more trouble tomorrow and a little more trouble the day after that. If Jesus were predicting your future and mine and our lives in this world, 
he would say, there is a 100% chance that some trouble is going to blow into your life. So see, I don't know why we get so shocked when things don't go our way or things get hard because life is only being lived out exactly the way that Jesus said that it would be. Um, So while there's not much harmony in our world, while there's a lot of brokenness in our world, Jesus has come so that we might bring that harmony, that sense of shalom, that sense of being restored, of being whole before God and man. He's called you and I to partner with him in that to shape and change our world. Now, sometimes when God's people or followers of Jesus talk about the future or they think about that day of judgment that Malachi talked about or they think about heaven, they kind of take this approach and I think this approach is absolutely terrible. But here's the approach they take. They say, well, hey, you know what I'm going to do? Hey, I've, I've trusted Jesus. I've invited him to lead and guide my life. I'm going to follow him. So here's my goal. I'm going to keep my head down. I'm going to keep my nose clean. I'm going to try to stay out of trouble until Jesus comes back. And that's kind of my job. My job is just kind of You know, steer clear of all the bad stuff out there so that when Jesus comes, you know, I'll be be okay, right? This is exactly wrong, friends. That is not what you are here for. It is not what you and I are here to do. You and I are here. We are meant to actively partner with God, to actively bring healing to this broken world one life at a time. We are meant to take the shalom, the peace, the healing, body, soul, and spirit that we've each received from God and pass that on to someone else to make the world a better place to live. So we're to be active partners in bringing the shalom of Jesus into a dark and into a destructive and a broken world. And so how are you doing with that? Friends, never, ever, ever underestimate the importance of hope. Hope. Uh, Listen, this, this message has never been more important than it is today in this life and in this world. And we're told in the scriptures that we serve the God of all hope. And listen, hope is so vital. It is the fuel to your life and mine. And if you don't believe me, think about it this way. Hope is why people get married. Hope is what gets you out of bed in the morning. Hope is why people have children. Hope is why people endure things like chemotherapy and radiation. Hope is why people buy ab machines. We live by hope, and hope has never been more needed and more necessary in our culture and in our world than it is today. And you and I, we follow one who has come with healing in his wings. 
And he offers that healing. And he offers that wholeness. And he offers that restoration in a world and in a culture and in a society where people are just running the other way. You know? And so one of the things that Jesus would say to us is he would say this, listen, regardless of your present, you have a glorious future with me. Regardless of what you're enduring right now, regardless of what you're going through in this moment, you have a joyful future with me. And it's as certain as what you're going through right now. That day is going to come. It is going to happen. And as I said, this message of hope has never been more important than it is right now. It is vital that not only this church, but that the church across the United States of America stand up, lean into that message, and don't just speak it with our mouths, but live it with our hands and our feet. In other words, we need to be willing to not only speak the hope of healing and restoration uh, of Jesus, but we need to help make that happen. We need to bring that about. We need to partner actively with Jesus as we follow him to make our world a better place to be. So I don't know if any of you have ever visited a place called Nantucket Island, but There on that island, there's a little museum there that's devoted to a group that thrived centuries ago. So most of you know that in the 18th and 19th centuries, travel by sea, it was very dangerous. And, you know, given storms in the Atlantic, the rocky coast of Massachusetts, a lot of lives were lost. I mean, just, you know, a half mile or so from uh, the coast. So a group of volunteers went into the life-saving business. They banded together to form what was then called the Humane Society. Now, when we think about the Humane Society today, we think more about animals than we do people. But in this day, it was people that were on their mind. So what they did is they built little huts that dotted the coast of Nantucket Island all all up and down, little huts that they called huts of refuge. And so they had people in these huts all the time watching the sea. And whenever a ship would go down, the word would go out and they would drop everything and devote themselves to going out and rescuing and saving as many lives as possible. In fact, they did this for no money. It was a completely volunteer organization. There was no recognition. They just did it because they believed that human life was precious to God. And to remind their members of how serious they were about this, to remind them of what was at stake if you decided to join their little organization, here was their motto. Their motto was this, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. I look at that motto and I think that doesn't sound like an effective recruiting motto to me. I can't imagine people wanting to join that organization. Hey, I believe that. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. Sign me up. But you know what? People signed up in droves. Because they believed that life was precious. And these people would risk everything they had, even their lives, to save people they had never even met. But then, 
over time, little by little, things began to change. The U.S. Coast Guard came along. It began to slowly take over the task, and for a while, the Coast Guard and the Life-Saving Society worked side by side. But eventually, the idea that carried the day was this. Well, hey, you know what? Let's get out of the way. Let's let the professionals do it. They're better trained. They get paid for it. Let's just get out of the uh, life-saving business. So that's exactly what they did. The Humane Society got out of the life-saving business. But they couldn't bring themselves to disband. So the Life-Saving Society still meets to this day. They meet from time to time in Boston, Massachusetts. And when they meet, they have dinner together. They hand out some citizenship awards. They uh, have a few drinks and they enjoy one another's company. They're just not in the life-saving business anymore. Well, friends, the same thing can happen in a church. It doesn't happen in a day or a month or a year, but over time a church can forget that it's in the life-saving business. And they may able to be able to keep going for a long, long time. But the reality is any church that does this, their focus has changed. And they're no longer looking to save any other lives. In fact, they're mostly looking at themselves. And the question they ask most often is, are my needs being met? Am I being catered to here at this church? You know, listen, we are in the life-saving business at Shelbyville Community Church. We are not a, we're not a country club. We're not just a social organization. And as beautiful as, as it is when we love one another, I mean, after all, Jesus said, right, by this will all men know you're my disciples if you love one another. So that's a witness. That's a ministry. Our love for one another is meant to be a testament and a testimony to the love of God. But it's not only about that. We have to also be the hands and feet of Jesus in actively bringing restoration and wholeness to a broken world. One life at a time, city by city, neighborhood by neighborhood. We are in the life-saving business. And so here's what that means. As long as there's anybody in Shelby County or Rush County or Marion County or Decatur County, as long as there's anybody that needs Jesus, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. In other words, as long as there's anybody who needs hope, as long as there's anybody who stands alone, as long as there's anybody who needs healing, as long as there's anybody who needs community, we're not done. See, we're not done yet. We have a mission. God has asked you and me, he's asked this church to be a disciple-making church that brings hope and healing to our community. And do you know why? Because we follow a Savior who has come with healing in his wings. Not just physical healing, physical, spiritual, uh, emotional, body, mind, heart, all of that. We are to be a disciple-making church that brings hope and healing to our community. That's our calling. We know that. We are in the life-saving business here. You know, when I was a teenager, there was a movie that came out called The Blues Brothers. It wasn't really even a particularly good movie, 
but it starred Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi played two guys, and my recollection is I think they were trying to raise money for a convent. And so they have a standard line through the whole movie. Every time anybody asks them what they're doing, they have a standard response. In a heavy, thick, northeastern accent, they would say, we're on a mission from God. We're on a mission from God. And that was, that was kind of the joke. That's the big joke of the whole movie, that these wannabe, no-talent musicians actually think that they're on a mission from God. Well, I want to tell you something. Because of Jesus, we are on a mission from God. You and I, every one of us who follow the one who comes with healing in his wings. We are on that same mission of healing. We are not called to simply keep our head down and our nose clean and hope that we can just kind of stay nice until Jesus comes. We are here to be active participants in the restoration of a broken and a fallen world. It is a mission. And listen, and it's not a comedy. It's serious. It's a mission of restoration. It's a mission of hope. Because we serve a Savior who has come with healing in his wings for you and I. We've got to pass that on. We've got to press into that message of help and hope. And we've got to live it out. It's never been more important than it is in this day, in this time, and in this season. So will you be part of that? Or will you just settle for just trying to keep your head down and your nose clean, but doing absolutely nothing of good to anybody else? I don't want to be in a church like that. I want to be in a church that sees need and sees people and rushes to them in the same way that our Jesus rushes to us. So let me pray for you and for me and for us together as a church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you have come with healing in your wings. And you've asked us to join with you in that mission. And so, God, would you uh, continue to equip us, continue to um, give us the courage to live that mission out with the very, very best of our time and our talents and our treasures. God, don't let us settle for just being a social organization. As important as those relationships are, we know we have to have those. But God, it has to be about more than just that. So God, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us strength? Would you give us resolve uh, to live as unto you with the very, very best of our time, talents, and treasures? We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.